you want to build your brand by being a guest on industry-leading podcasts? If you're a business leader, an author, or a speaker, my guess is that you do. Picture this. You, a dynamic executive easily connecting with engaged audiences, turbocharging your top-of-funnel marketing, and creating a treasure trove of content with every episode. Podcasting is a game changer that you've been waiting for. And PodcastAlly.com is your VIP ticket to podcast PR success. Say goodbye to the ordinary and hello to the extraordinary exposure. Let the Podcast Ally team connect you with the best-in-class podcast for you to be a guest on. Head over to PodcastAlly.com and use the promo code DT for a 10% discount on Podcast Ally services. That's PodcastAlly.com, promo code DT. Welcome to High Octane Leadership with Donald Thompson. This season, we're diving deeper with more solo episodes, where I'll share the experiences that have led to recognition by EY, Forbes, Fast Company, and others. Not as a boast, but as milestones on my entrepreneurial path. From growing multi-million dollar firms to successful business exits and building high performance teams with a global perspective. I'll reveal the insights and strategies from my journey and share them with you so that we can win together. Alongside these solo episodes, we'll have industry visionaries and thought leaders, and we'll explore effective leadership. Ready to empower your leadership journey with real success stories? Let's embark on this transformational journey together. In this episode of High Octane Leadership, I'm talking with Zach Nunn, a visionary entrepreneur and the founder of Living Corporate a cutting-edge experience management startup revolutionizing the workplace. With a core focus on workplace fairness, Zach and his team leverage analytics, talent enablement, brand storytelling to cultivate an environment that prioritizes employee trust and market confidence. In addition to spearheading Living Corporate, Zach is a driving force behind Living Corporate Podcast Network, dedicated to amplifying the voices of black and brown professionals in the workplace. Through this platform, he strives to create a space for authentic conversations and insights, fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thanks for joining me on the show, Zach. Donald Thompson, what's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, Zach. Good to see you, man. And uh, as we wind up uh, 2023, uh, I'm excited. And that's a beautiful thing after a long, tough year in many ways. Good good in many ways, but I'm doing well. Thank you. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel the same way. It's it's a blessing to be able to be both excited to rest and ex- and thankful for the year that you had, right? Especially to your point. Look at the landscape. Everything's going on. I mean, honestly, unless you're uh, some type of robber baron, it's been a tough year for dang near everybody. Right. In some regard, especially those in the entrepreneurial space. I'd love to just talk to you. Let's start there. Right. Like, you know, look, I I know you as Donald Toms. Right. EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Right. Uh, everybody and their auntie telling me to talk to Donald Thompson. That's what you and I got connected through a mutual uh, respected colleague. And and I, and I think about and I, and I see you right like in this in this executive space. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's also easy sometimes 
you look at like the press releases and the junkets and the LinkedIn posts, and you look at like the really well edited photos and things of that nature. It's kind of easy sometimes to forget that, yo, it was a hard year for founders too. Talk to me a little bit about that. This landscape economically and, and what it meant for your business and how you had to adapt and shift and change as an entrepreneur. Yeah, as an entrepreneur and a business leader, um, you you hit it right on the spot, right? We have the optics of what we present from a brand perspective. And then we have the business reality of living life and uh, and life be life in. And that's whether it be uh, health issues with a family member that you love, whether that is what's going on in our environment. And for our uh, case, you know, it's the diversity movement, the attack on DEI, right? If you think about the political landscape and people actively trying to make DEI a bad term, right? And how does that impact your ability to push through and grow? And then you look at the economic environment that we're all working with and crazy inflation and layoffs and different things. Now, the same client that was going to spend 200000 has 100000 to spend or $50,000 spent. And there's really nothing you can do about it. And so the mental model and the thing I'm thankful about is as a more seasoned entrepreneur, this isn't my first rodeo. This isn't my first time riding the bull, right, that gets a little out of control. And I think back to really the first major instance for me in 2006, 2007, when we were going through a banking crisis that really changed the way our economy thought about the financial institutions, right? And I was able to grow a business through that storm, just like this one, with a couple of key elements. Number one, you got to rethink your value proposition. And you might not be able to charge what you've been charging. You need to be thankful for the clients that continue to pay. Right. We all get uh, reading books, know your worth. Right. Uh, you know, charge your thing like, hey, I get all of that. Right. But I also have a chapter in the book called Meet Thy Payroll. Right. And in order to do that. Right. You got to have some flexibility. Right. And how you sell and how you price. And so you have to rethink some things. The other thing is like who on your team are producing value at a level right, that allow you to weather the storm. And sometimes you have to have uncomfortable conversations with those that don't. It becomes a real indicator of that concept of the winners are going to win regardless of the environment. The pain is really seen at average and below. Mm. And so you've got to make sure as an entrepreneur that you are above average for real. See, what happened in this economy, and this is super interesting, right? Two, three years ago, when that war on talent and everyone, right, was pushing the envelope and what they were making career-wise, people were hiring folks sight unseen almost because they just had to fill jobs with bodies, right? Then the pendulum shifted, and those people that had title inflation, that had career inflation, were the first to be let go. And so what I've learned as an entrepreneur and a business leader is you have to understand not only how you see your value, but how does the company operate and make money from what you do to the degree that they're willing to value your skills in good times and bad. And so when I move through this year and kind of reflect back, I'm really excited because a lot of good things happened, but a lot of good things happened while I was working through a lot of personal and professional stressors. 
and I was able to continue forward. So that's one of the things that makes me, that's why I'm smiling, right? As I, as I get to the, to the end of the year, we were able to see some significant successes, but we were able to produce through the pain. You know, there's so much in this space. You talk about the diversity movement and really like the, this broader space of like DEI and broader than that, employee experience. And that I, I really believe the domain itself is still so largely unregulated, um, unrefined, unmeasured, that there's it's, there's still so much greenfield out there, right? And and in that way, to me, it's extremely exciting. You know, I I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk a bit about uh, the diversity movement and its announcement with Workplace Options or WPO. I'm going to give you the space to to let you rock. I think for me, the headline is WPO has acquired the diversity movement. Um, you and I had a conversation offline about that, off mic about that. I just want to talk about your journey and process to make a determination that that was the best decision for the diversity movement and how what led you there and just what emotions were involved in that. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the emotions first yeah. and then the economics, right? And yeah. how we got to the business decision. The emotions of something that you found, right? So Jackie Ferguson, one of our founders, Kurt Merriweather, uh, Kayla Sosa, uh, our founding team, myself. When you build something from the clay, right? Like you go into the dirt, right? And you put the water in the dirt and you build the clay and you create a business that has economic value. And then somebody looks to acquire that business. They're now putting a financial measure on something that you have personally built. And that's always difficult because those two things, there's typically some distance there because you know what sweat equity you put in, time, effort, and energy in those things. And you feel like that giving up of control as an entrepreneur is a bad thing. Hmm. You feel like going into a bigger enterprise, right? Am I losing belief in my ability to build a big business on my own? Hmm. You, you have all of these different thoughts that you work through. And as an entrepreneur, again, I'm very blessed that this isn't the first time I've been through this, but the emotions are still there and very real and very, very much the same. The way you have to think about it is what is the mission of the organization? And so this now gets into why we did what we did. We created the diversity movement for a monetary business, a for-profit business, but also a mission-based business to create a better work experience, right, for employees across the globe. What we had to come to grips with is what's the best way to do that in this environment? Mm -hmm. WPO has 1,500 employees across 21 countries, is a $100 million business, and has a global scale that we don't have. We had technology that we've productized the DEI experience with our micro videos, with our leader view tools, with all the things that we do, our analytics. And for us to build a sales force to touch hundreds of millions of people was going to take a minute. Whereas now as a part of WPO, we now can inject our tools, our technology, our passion for building a better workplace, for the wellness and well-being of employers and employees. And we now have a global presence the day after the acquisition. And so for us, it was about meaning and scale. We needed the scale faster than we could build it on our own. 
and we now are delivering content that has meaning to a global audience faster than we could do on our own. And what a validation to that first product that Jackie Ferguson built, Diversity Beyond the Checkbox, that five-module product. I, I remember the hours that she put into it that a large business said, the digital learning that you all created is world-class. We'd rather buy yours than build our own, right? That is true validation for an entrepreneur. We also were able to create an environment where we're integrated with a large organization, but we were able to keep the autonomy of a brand that we built that we're very proud of that's gotten national recognition. And so to to succinctly kind of land the answer is that it is very hard emotionally when you're looking at selling the business because it's more more than just the economics. Mm. And you have to make sure that you sell the business to an environment working with leaders, that your moment grows, that you don't just disappear inside the belly of the beast. Mm -hmm. And so Alan King, the CEO of of WPO, has been more than gracious in terms of how we've promoted the acquisition, in terms of how we're coming together as a team. And so far, so good. Uh, Pleased with the decision that we made. You know, it's exciting. I I think about, when I think about the, the different spaces, right? As a founder myself, I think about the different spaces you could sell your, to where, where one would potentially sell their business or what route they they want to go. I don't know if EAP comes to mind immediately, right? It didn't for us, Zach, right? Like if, because when we were going through due diligence, I was like, man, if I would have thought about it, well, then I would have went and talked to 20 EAP program, made them partners, right? And, and I wouldn't be for sale. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, it, like, <laughs> but the reality of you, when you think about the employer's responsibility to their employees, it is to give them the infrastructure mm-hmm. for life events that are beyond their control. Mm-hmm. Life events, whether you're having a new uh, child that is entering your family whether you are dealing with the loss of a loved one, mm-hmm. whether you are a, uh, a spouse that is dealing with being a single parent for whatever reason, mm-hmm. now, right? There are all kinds of things, mental health and well-being. And again, the list can go on and on, but no employer is equipped. Very few employers are equipped, and I mean very few, with their internal people infrastructure to handle all of the elements of what it takes to create true well-being. And so when we think about things that trigger a lack of well-being, that's where diversity, equity, inclusion comes in because as a manager and a leader, teaching leaders how to be more inclusive, Mm -hmm. how to hold an inclusive meeting, how to give and receive better feedback, Mm -hmm. understanding the power of how do you use pronouns and why, all of these different things are a component of giving somebody a integrated and amazing experience at work every day while keeping the financial metrics in play. And so creating DEI as a component in the well-being experience of an enterprise organization, man, when you say it out loud, well, it seems like it it was sitting there all the time. No brainer. And so kudos to Alan, right? Because like I said, if I would have thought about it first, you know (laughs) I just went down the street, hit 20 of them. I'll pick up the phone, you know? 
but but it was his foresight and the way he thought about creating uniqueness in the marketplace that was really interesting. And the other thing that I'll say for those that were entrepreneurs, those that are innovative, the other thing that WPO and their leadership said time and time again about why they chose us mm. is we were more than a DEI consultancy. We were a technology-enabled consultancy. Mm-hmm. We had taken our knowledge and productized our knowledge so that a larger organization could see how they could drop that information, those assets, those products into an existing sales force and sell and scale. And so for those that are listening, that are thinking about building a business, thinking about growing a business, even if it's a consulting business, you're a one-person band, codify your intellectual property, create your thought leadership pieces, Mm -hmm. document your methodologies. Because those are the things that are going to give you that unique differentiation when somebody is looking at taking you to the next level. You know, so many things you said there. Um, I want to start. I want to start with the last thing you said first, and I want to go back. So, one hundred percent. I think that I get nervous, and now this also might be, believe it or not, Donald, is because I don't necessarily like putting my face out there like that. But I really, <laughs> I really, I, I kind of went sometimes when you see businesses. And it's like a the business is really like the person's personality, right? So like Zach Nunn Consulting, like okay, so there's a high degree of risk there. If something happens and I hurt myself or I can't travel in the same way or I don't know, like I get some type of speech impediment or like anything happens, then the whole business is done. So like, what are you doing to create something outside of yourself that exists? One, I'm not even thinking necessarily about from an acquisition perspective, but just from a, a perspective of uh, sustainability and long-term health. I, what, what are you creating, I love right? Yeah, I love the question, Zach. I, and I'll use some real specific examples, right? One of the things that I do um, well, and I do a lot of things I have to work on, so let's be clear. But this is a podcast. We're talking about stuff I do good right now, right? We'll come to my mistakes in a minute. But one of the things I've done well in recruiting folks to work with me as a part of our team is painting a vision to where the limelight doesn't shine on an individual and doing that in a very material way. So let me give you an example. So Jackie Ferguson has a podcast, Diversity Beyond the Checkbox, right? So Diversity Beyond the Checkbox, right, is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Jackie has her brand that drives business to TDM. When we think about um, Jamie Osterart, one of our um, executives, and the speaking that she does to private equity organizations around DEI. When we think about Kurt Merriweather, who has a technology perspective on DEI and the work that he's doing at places like uh, Fujifilm and Mitsubishi. One of the things I do in recruiting folks is I talk about being a DEI Avenger. And what that means is you can be strong enough to have your own movie, and then we all come together to change the I world. love that. <laughs> and that's the way we think about creating that limelight that only shines, not, on, not only shines on an individual, but shines on the team. And that's super important. It's super important. I would, and I was simply saying, I love, I love the fact, I, first of all, thank you for that story. I love the fact that you have something that, again, exists beyond a personality and an individual. Um, and- and I think that when you, as we look at the the future of this space and like the proliferation of um, as technology continues to just accelerate and advance everything, folks are going to really have to be thoughtful, right? 
you selling an in-person workshop, you selling coaching sessions where I'm, you know, I'm trading my time for money. I'm not saying those things are going to be just going completely away, but they're going to be rapidly outpaced by technology enabled yeah. solutions. Um, so, so going back to the top of what you said though, about EAPs, you know, I was talking to, um, to, to Dr. Maisha Gray Diggs. She's like the head of people at Eventbrite, um, head of talent um, and employee experience at Eventbrite. And we were talking about the fact, Donald, that like outside of like, you know, your steel mills and like automotive, that like employee life cycles are shrinking because um, executive investment is changing, right? Boards are not making 60-month bets, right? They're not making multi, multi, multi-year bets. Like that's that's just not even really the way the West works, certainly not America. They're making four to six quarter bets with like very mm-hmm. hard milestones at a quarterly basis and a and a readiness to pivot, shift, or whatever if it doesn't seem like it's gonna work. And because of that, and we're seeing the ca- the casualties being people getting laid off at a at an increasingly volatile clip, right? Um, and so all that being said, this is not a necessarily a critique on our late stage capital society. I mean, we could have another podcast for the day. My my larger point is just that organizations, I believe, as that accelerates, right, as the employee life cycle accelerates, they're going to look to they're going to continue to look to offset their people costs, right? It doesn't mean that they it doesn't mean that employee experience becomes any less important. It means that that cost center may or may not sit so squarely within those organizations because they already know that they're not they're not necessarily banking on this 27-year-old to stay with them for a decade anyway, right? So as you think about this, so I'm just I I'm giving you your flowers and saying that to to connect uh, your services, your tools, your body of expertise, your technology to it to EAP is extremely wise because I really believe that a larger percentage of organizations of various sizes are going to continue to lean on EAPs, and they might have a couple of HR people in their organization, right? But that HR person is going to really be responsible for managing the relationship with the EAP and not necessarily driving this. Uh, full-scale, end-to-end employee experience strategy, right? I mean, like, I'm curious. I know I said a lot there, so I'm, I am going to give you space down on, on the pod. Uh, I'm curious, like, like, do you see something? Do you see anything different from what I'm saying? Like, what, like, what do you, as you look at, like, the future of work, like, do you see that as well or you see something different? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll expand on what you're saying and, and I'll do it in this way. When we think about EAP, we naturally say employee assistance programming, mm-hmm. right? The expansion of what you're describing is employer assistance programming to where now the EAP provider is creating that universe of services, mm-hmm. right? That allow someone to have a personalized work experience in a large enterprise organization. Yeah. And it still can be personalized at scale. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you are spot on in looking at the evolution of what things need to be domain expertise in-house, and then those things that companies need to buy off the shelf from an infrastructure standpoint, because it would be almost impossible 
for them to stay current and relevant in something that's outside of their core business. Right. Right. And so I, I agree with you wholeheartedly and, and well said. You know, I, we're coming up on time and, you know, I always, always want to respect our time period is, you know, we, we're talking about, we've touched on a few different things here between um, like this entrepreneurial journey, understanding in the, the, uh, the psychology and kind of personal journey of selling your business, the really kind of like the future of work as well. You're a black man in this entrepreneurial space. There's tons of black and brown founders right now, founders period. And I, but I do want to double click on black and brown founders, especially in a, in a, in a season where, where everything's a fire sale, right? Including folks' businesses. Mm-hmm. If you had to give me a, you know, one, three, five, however many you got, Donald, points of advice on determining whether selling your business um, is the right thing to do or like, like, or things to consider in exploring selling your business? Like, what would those things be? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts and thanks for the question. So number one is you have to be honest whether you have a whole product in your business or if you should be a feature in a larger set of offerings. And so what we had to step back and think about when we we're looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in that, that wellness space is we looked at our tools and technologies and said, wait a minute, we can touch more people if our offering is aligned with EAP services and programming. We would greatly increase the amount of reach, the amount of access, and then obviously the number of lives that we touch. So you have to have an honest discussion with yourself about that. The second thing that I think is really important as founders are looking at growing organically versus selling the business is really client acquisition. How good are you and your team at building a pipeline of business that can weather any economic conditions? And that is really tough because we always want to bet on ourselves. It makes sense. You create more dollars on a potential exit the longer that you hold. All of those things are true that you read about, that you go to MBA school and all these things. But a lot of times you have to be willing to, from an ego standpoint, step back a little bit and say, I might make a little bit less, but the upside's more secure if I'm part of a bigger franchise and organization because I'm protecting against the downside. I'm protecting against that inability to weather a particular storm as a team of 20, 30, 40, 50 by being a part of a team of 1,500. The other thing that I would say, and the the final thing in this question, as a CEO, is what is your appetite for what it's going to take to go to the next level? And this is where you got to get real with you. And we glamorize the hustle, the 50, 60, 70-hour work week. We, We talk about getting our grind on all these different things. but age family, kids, all these things have to do with the timing of key strategic decisions. In my case, personally, having been there, done that before, I I simply thought about how do I get to the end state I want faster, right? And if you think about the current headwinds of our business environment, and you think about a metaphor of being on the ocean, Do you want to be on a speedboat or do you want to be on a freight boat, a tanker? 
one weather storm is better than the other. Hmm. And storms are coming, my friend. And for me, having to look at the business landscape, it was less about us and our team at TDM and more about the macro environment and what is the best vessel to be on in a particular environment. Mm. And that drove a lot of our of our decision uh, in, in terms of what we were doing and, and why. It's very um, presumptuous. Everybody doesn't have that decision. We're very fortunate. We weren't looking to sell the business. Mm. Right at this time, like certainly we wanted to exit and, and do like cool things, but we weren't looking to sell the business. We were approached by a broker that was working for WPO and they started to do some light checking around us and presented us with an opportunity that we that obviously we, we thoughtfully considered. And and, uh, you know, the the commas worked and, and we, we made a deal. But the reality is you want to build your business strong enough that you have the most choices. And for us, we built a business strong enough that we had the most choices. And that was really, really important to, to the decision-making and, quite frankly, being able to strike a fair deal with a larger organization. Donald, man, it's been a fire conversation. You know, you and I, we, we chop it up whenever we want to. But it's dope also to have these conversations right here, too. Yeah, hey, you. man, look, uh, congratulations to all, uh, to the entire diversity movement team. Uh, congratulations to uh, y'all's partnership with WPO. And I look forward to having a conversation with you really soon. Hey, thanks for your time, my friend. Peace. Thank you for joining us on High Octane Leadership with Donald Thompson. Today's episode is a step in our collective journey towards leadership excellence. Remember, every story we share and every insight we gain is a piece in the puzzle of our leadership journey. For more insight and detail, hit the subscribe button so that we can stay connected. For deeper information and more episodes, go to donaldthompson.com. Continue to lead with vision and purpose, and until we meet again, embrace your role as a high-octane leader in the ever-evolving world of business.